0: This is Philosophy, the intersection of meaning and money. We live in a world of an abundance of stuff, but a scarcity of meaning and purpose. On Philosophy, we explore how a philosophy of life can help us pursue meaningful endeavors and prepare for the future while enjoying today. Money is entangled in almost every aspect of modern life. So any serious inquiry for self-knowledge and personal development requires an exploration of the meaning of money. We'll learn from business leaders, entrepreneurs, philosophers, investors, historians, and others to help us think better, work better, invest better, build better, and live better. This show is brought to you by Vermillion Private Wealth. Thanks for being a part of this quest. Welcome back to Philosophy. I'm James Vermillion, and today's guest is William Stixrudd. He is a clinical neuropsychologist and founder of the Stixrud Group. He's also a member of the teaching faculty at Children's National Medical Center and an assistant professor of psychiatry and pediatrics at the George Washington University School of Medicine. At face value, Bill shares many of his views about raising children, independence, education, and more. But even if you don't have kids or plan on having kids, there's much to be learned from Dr. Stixrud on psychology and the human condition. Parenting is hard. And yes, I know that's a massive understatement. Sometimes parents unwittingly create problems by trying to control the lives of their children. This is the problem Dr. Stixrud addresses in the book he co-authored with Ned Johnson, The Self-Driven Child, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. My wife and I read the book together to gain insights about raising our daughter to be self-motivated and independent. And we enjoyed the book so much That I asked Bill to come on the show. He was generous enough to agree to share his knowledge on brain science, psychology, and practical ways to raise a self-driven child. Enjoy. Hello, Bill. Welcome to the show. How are you?
1: I'm wonderful, James. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. I'm really excited to chat. As I mentioned, if nothing else, for for selfish reasons, Uh, I've got a young daughter and my wife and I picked up the book um, the self-driven ch- child uh, that you and Ned Johnson wrote, and we read it together. She'd read a chapter, I would read a chapter, and it was really useful. I talked about halfway through the book with her. I was like, I- "We've got to talk to him. We've got to talk to cool. to to Bill and get an idea and kind of flesh some of these ideas out." A because we've got a young child, and and then also because I deal with a lot of young families, being a financial advisor that serves sure. you know kind of sure. millennials. A lot of these things come up just in conversation as people are trying to plan out, map out their future. Um, so I think it's really relevant from that standpoint too, so that if nothing else, I can have a little bit better, more engaging conversations with my clients. Sure, so Thank you sure. so much. Yeah, yeah. You're very welcome. Well, let's, I wanted to start off um, really just with the topic of control when it comes to, to kids yeah. and people <laughs> in yeah. general. Why is that sense of control so important? to begin with, particularly in in young children.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that <laughs> one of the first things that the kids say before they have the grammar to say it correctly is, you aren't the boss of me, you know, <laughs> it, it, you know, and, and one of the things that's so humbling about being a parent of, of, of an infant or a toddler is you realize I can't make them do anything, you know, if they don't want to do it, if they don't want to go to their room or whatever I have to do, I can carry them, but I can't make them do it. You can't, you can't make a child stop crying. You can't make a child you know, want what they don't want. You know, they're interested in something. You can't make them not be interested in it. And so um, Ned Johnson and I had been, had been lecturing together for many years, and i have been writing a lot of stuff about, about how stress affects kids' development, about motivation, about the importance of sleep and play for kids. Um, and we decided to write a book. And we were talking, so what's, what's really the, the, the kind of organizing principle here? And Ned said, it seems like everything that we, we think is useful to, to parents is related to a sense of control.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and it's important. So the, the two, there's really two main reasons that we foc- focus on, James. And one is that a sense of control is just hugely important for mental health. If you think about it, I mean, if you, that if you're, if you're really feeling anxious or you're depressed, Think if you're anxious, your thinking is completely out of control. If you're depressed, your behavior you, you can't use, you, you, no, you have no confidence that you can manage your life. And virtually every mental health problem is strongly related to a, a sense of control. And recent research is actually saying that the, the, the active ingredient in all of the effective therapies for anxiety and depression, including exercise, is increased sense of control. Hmm. And you so see, we, we got to this in part because we knew that. There's uh, there's a great st- uh, stress researcher by the name of Sonia Lupian who says there's four aspects of life that make it stressful. It's novel, and you can she summarizes it with the acronym Nuts because like stress makes you nuts kind of idea. But if it's novelty, unpredictability, perceived threat and a low sense of control. The, the, the essence is, it's a, and and everybody says it's that low sense of control the most stressful. It's the most stressful because you could be in a new situation or an unpredictable situation, even a threatening situation. But if you, you have a sense, I got this, I can handle this, that it's not that stressful. It's when you you don't know what to do. You, you, know, I, I don't, you feel helpless, you feel hopeless, you feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. That That's the most stressful thing you can experience. So initially we were thinking if – if a low sense of control is the most stressful thing in experience, and all the problems that young people have now, that the dramatic escalation in anxiety, depression, substance use, self-injury, all this stuff, that they're all stress-related problems, that this must be a really big deal. Now, right. it t- turns out that they have a healthy sense of control. Is is really it's good for everything. You, know, you you live longer. You're healthier. You're you're more sexual, academically, career wise, because just the the brain functions really well on a sense of control. Uh, I could I could tell you a little bit more about that, but but that's that's so the, the first reason is mm-hmm. that you, it's crucial for mental health, and the second reason is that everywhere, Ned and night, see a lot of the kids that we see. But, but Ned is a test prep guy, and he, he, he works with really uh, high-end families and re- kids with a lot of academic pressure and tries right. to help them with the SAT and ACT and that kind of stuff and Jerry. And the reason that we, we, we think a lot alike is the way he helps them is by being helping me be the less anxious, realize this is not that big a deal. And he, he gets phenomenal results. By, by taking the approach that we, we talk about in The Self-Driven Child. But in any case, both of us, I'm a clinical neuropsychologist. I, I test kids for a living who are having problems. I try to figure out what's wrong, how to help them, like that. Yeah, and, and also what's right, what, what they're good at. But, <laughs> right. but my point is that we see so many kids who have what we consider to be disordered motivation, meaning that that school's, school's hard, why bother try, or they're just obsessively driven. We thought, you know, what, so every place that we looked, understand how do kids develop that healthy self-drive that help to, to develop themselves so they have something meaningful to offer this world. That they they, they, they work hard, but they aren't obsessively driven, and, and it's it's this, every every arrow pointed in the direction of autonomy, the sense of control. You have to say, this is my life. You, you don't get you don't get motivated by somebody making you do stuff. Right. And so th- th- these are the two main reasons we focus on in, in the self-driven child, James, is this, this mot- mental health piece and this motivational piece.
0: One thing I was kind of taken back uh, by early in the book was the fact that, and it's something I guess I knew, but it was just the way you you all pointed it out was that it's not just kids that are struggling with school or kids that are struggling in some other area of life that are f- that that are feeling stressed and anxious and and really struggling. It's also like you said, these high achievers, these kids who are pushing themselves, or maybe being pushed externally by other people, to to do you know really excellent, wonderful, large things. And I think you know I see that in in the world of, of finance with my clients. Sure, I've got some clients who are kind of just trying to get started and are really struggling to kind of just put everything together and start saving for the future. Then I've got other clients who are doing phenomenally well, um, have very high net worths, and Will be totally fine, and they're they're all equally stressed well, and they're all equally anxious.
1: Th- th- that's the thing, and and I think that w- one of the most striking things I ever learned was in relation to what you're saying is that there's a there's a there's a scientist, a social scientist by the name of S- Sunia Luther, and she was, did a study on kids who were raised in poverty about 20 years ago, and I can't remember what the study was about, but she the control group. She used was kids was affluent kids in high achieving schools, mm-hmm. and what she found that they were at higher risk for anxiety, depression, substance use disorders than than middle class kids or even even kids in poverty. Yeah. And she st- continued to study, and this is really kids if you, if you are affluent families, high achieving schools, these kids are significantly elevated risk. For anxiety, depression, and and the the substance use disorder continues well into young adulthood. I mean, there's this Mm -hmm. recent study. So I I think we have to rethink how we raise kids to be successful. Because I see so many people who have everything you could possibly want who are unhappy. And I think it's because they're they're barking up the wrong tree. And we have a new book, James, that came out a year ago called um, What Do You Say?, how to Talk with Kids to Build Motivation, Stress Tolerance in a Happy Home. And there's a chapter about happiness. I, I just think it's really, really useful for us to know. Why do we know about what it takes to have a happy life? Because relentless achievement isn't it. Right. It's part of it. Achieving is part of it. But it's a relatively small part of it. And and so um, I, I think that, we, that if we got our human nervous system you're gonna be stressed and you wanna be stressed at times because the stress response protects you. That's that's how you know something's dangerous. I, I need to get away from it. Sure. But we don't want is that, that stress response system turned on all the time. And unfortunately in, in, in many of the kids that I see and Ned see around the kids around the country, that stress system stays up stays turned on so much of the time that they develop anxiety disorders, they get depressed or like that.
0: You know, I'm glad you brought up stress kind of quickly here because that's really one of the main things I wanted to talk about because there are just so many things, whether you're, whether you're a kid these days or an adult, there are so many stressors. I mean, just parenting is stressful in itself. Yep. People stress. I know this firsthand. People stress about money all the time. People stress about work. Kids stress about school. And one thing I think is important, Bill, is to understand what that's actually doing because these words are thrown around a lot and I don't think people really know what they mean. Um or or what's actually happening with the body with the brain? Okay. So if we could, can you just kind of talk about stress and what actually happens to the body when we are stressed or, or at least too stressed? Okay
1: so um there's there's a very very interesting research um that has that has identified three kinds of stress. and one they call positive stress. Which is the the stress you 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 experience um when you're a kid's preparing for a test or you're kid's about to be tested or you you're you're preparing for some kind of public performance um and where really what it is and and it really helps to understand this is your brain trying to gear up for optimal performance because you don't perform as well if you're kind of, if you're kind of lethargic you know you you sure. perform well at a, at an optimal level of arousal, and so that positive stress. It is, it's something that really can enhance our performance um, and our ability to do well. Now, the second is what's called tolerable stress, which is, it can be really something heavy. You know, it, it can be you know, losing a parent or you know, parents get divorced, or it can be having to move and leave all your friends. Um, but it's tolerable if it doesn't go on forever and you have, you have support. And, and the third kind is called toxic stress. And toxic stress is just stress that's unrelenting or where, where kids kids are stressed and they don't have a lot of support to deal with it. And so it, it's certainly, the, it's, it's the, the toxic stress that has the most, that has a really destructive effect on, on the brain and body. And what we know is that, so it, the immediate effects of stress, I mean, you, you, it, we all experience this, that, that, that it shuts down the prefrontal, one of the things it does, is it shuts down the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex most recently, a part of all part of the brain that can think clearly, can put things in perspective, can, is, does the planning or organizing, all these executive functions, that it, it gets shuts down because stress hormones basically cause the prefrontal cortex to be flooded by the neurotransmitters that run it. One of the great biologists in the world says that, that prefrontal cortex is like is, is, is the Goldilocks of the brain meaning the balance of neurotransmitters has to be just right in order to really be focused and clear headed and, and thinking organized. And it's so easily disrupted by, by temporary stress and even, even to, and being able to, to, to store and retrieve information. You think about it. If you're stressed, it, it's hard. Mm-hmm. I, I was having lunch with a friend of mine years ago. I lived in Minneapolis and he, we'd been best friends for four years. He's seen, seen the show several times a week. And, Right before I left Minneapolis, we had lunch together, and somebody came up to me, and they, they had a little bit of an argument about money. And it's, 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 it's my it's money. And, and he turned to – kind of, then they kind of resolved, he kind of turned to introduce me, and he couldn't remember my name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's, so, it's, so it's it's these executive functions. It's these these sure. learning and retrieval functions. Um, and, lo- I mean, the long term, th- what really got my – Part of the reason in 1998, I started really lecturing and writing about stress was I started to learn about what it does to the brain. Mm-hmm. And long-term, what, what it does is it makes um, what we want, when you're in your right mind, when you have a sense of control, what, what's happening in your brain is the prefrontal cortex is regulating everything else, including the, 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 the amygdala that senses and reacts to the threat and other, these deeper brain systems that, that, that do the stress response. And mm-hmm. so you start to, if your if your prefrontal cortex is activated, you, you start something stressful happens. You just kind of deal with it. You don't get overwhelmed because it it, it talks you down. It kinda, you kind of you go into problem solving mode, you go into coping mode. Mm-hmm. And so what what um, what happens is is again is the first thing is is that short term, it kind of takes the prefrontal cortex offline. Long term, it actually shrinks the prefrontal cortex, and it makes the amygdala that senses and reacts to threat bigger. And more hysterical in responding to threats. So, 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 the more stressed you are, you, it kind of it, it, it kind of begets more and more stress and anxiety because the amygdala gets 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 bigger, and the frontal cortex gets less able to to regulate it.
0: So, chronic stress is is kind of re it's changing the actual physical structure oh, of your brain.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it actually actually so it it <laughs> I mean it, it it shrinks the prefrontal cortex. Unfortunately. Chronic stress will will, uh, will make the amygdala bigger, and it shrinks the hippocampus, which is your major memory center. Which is some of the reason why people who've had a lot of stress in their lives are more more at risk for depression as they get older, or for for, for uh, d- dementia as they get older. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's there's some studies that show that at least for if you're really highly stressed for two three months, you you can you recover. You know, if you're really sure. stressed for two two years, it's hard to say. But you you see people who. Like John McCain, who was in a you know, prisoner camp for four years, and it turned out to have a pretty incredible life after that. And and um, so, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, but certainly if you have a choice, you don't want yourself and your kid to be chronically stressed.
0: You know, just thinking more about children, yeah, especially a kid whose brain is still developing, and if they're chronically stressed, and as you mentioned, you know, it kind of is a self-growing problem because – you know, it can change the, the makeup of the brain, it can change the the biology itself. Um, and then you're less equipped, I guess, to deal with future stress, and then it's kind of a cycle, uh, which can be broken, as you mentioned, but you can see where that could, could get out of hand, especially in a developing brain. How do parents like recognize early enough, especially some kids I think are better at hiding, uh or 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 kind of you know, not showing some of these effects? What can parents do to a recognize the stress, and then b, if it's there and it's too much, uh, what can they do to to kind of help yeah. the child cope with it and make sure that those things don't continue to perpetuate?
1: Yeah, you know, and I think that uh, I have a couple thoughts. And the the first one with, with a kid your age, I mean not yours, but, but you, the two year a two <laughs> a two year old like like yeah, hey, I need help too here. Yeah, like like you have James um, that you know, among the best things you can do are, are really to, to try to develop as a consistent daily routine as possible. Um, and, and let, let little kids play. I, I really, I, there's, there's no earthly reason why young children need to have technology in their life and they need to play. The young mammals play except for human mammals in the last 20 years. And, and, and since since digital technology and, and, and some still do. And, and but, but, don't introduce te- technology to your kids in, in, until yeah. they're five, six, seven. I mean, wait, w- w- because you want them to play. There, there's nothing more important for developing than, than sleeping and playing and being loved. So the, the, what we want to do is, is have a, have a structured routine. We want to delay technology use, encourage a lot of play. We want to spend time with the kids. Um, ideally spend time one-on-one with them. Each parent spending one-on-one time is a really wonderful way to help kids um, you know, feel safe and secure. Uh, if, if there's any problem with their sleep, go to your pediatrician and, and, and see if you can get, get the sleep worked out because sleep is hugely is important for preventing chronic stress. Um, if if kids do seem to be anxious or stressed, two thoughts. First is the recent thinking about anxiety in kids is that it used to be, well, let's, let's, pre- let's do everything we can to prevent them from being anxious or to you know, prevent them from encountering things that make them anxious. The thinking now is, is that that just makes kids more anxious. So what you want to do, if a you, if kid is anxious about something, is let them know that you have confidence they can handle their anxiety. Your anxiety is not going to kill you. And it's not like you want them to be traumatized. Sure, but we, but we, but the way kids become resilient is something stressful happens, and and they they deal with it themselves, and it may maybe with pops possibly with us saying you can handle it, and I'll, I'm here if you need, but but I know you can handle it, or what could you tell yourself to to figure this out, and because it's that experience of coping successfully with a stressful experience, that's what builds that sense of control. And the the people who study this say a healthy sense of control inoculates you from the harmful effects of stress. Mm. The idea being that you have a sense that I've I've had all kinds of experience managing stressful situations. I can do this. Life isn't that stressful because you don't worry about what's coming around the corner because you figure I can handle it. And so we 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 want and there are kids who are super sensitive. there are kids about the time that they're they're too they're clearly anxious you know they're 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 chewing on it constantly or they're crying a lot, and I think that um it, it's a regular routine uh, and the um uh, uh, the uh, the play uh, spending one on one time is really healing for kids
0: even with the play, I've noticed you've always heard about helicopter parents and parents just hovering and dictating every single (laughs) movement, even when kids are just trying to play, which at that point it's not play anymore. Yeah. But I always told myself like, I am not going to be that way. That is, I think the worst thing you could possibly do for a child and helping them develop independence and self-motivation. But, but I will say it's very easy to fall into that. And that was one of the reasons we picked up the book because you know i caught myself sometimes like stopping natalie to say hey do you want to go do this it's like why did i do that she was perfectly content doing what she was doing so yeah um that really irritates me and especially now spending so much time at parks and in places where other parents are i see so many parents that just they cannot step back and let their child do anything on their own and it's you know, obviously I, you can't really say anything, but I kind of cringe a little bit.
1: Well, you know, it's and it's understandable because um, you know, the the if, if the low if a low sense of control is the most stressful thing in experience, watching your kid do something you think may not be his best interest and having to sit on your hands or button your lip is about as stressful as it gets.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so there's a very interesting set of studies where that they, they had like um, they had they had children. Uh, in, in a room, uh, just try, trying to solve a, a, a puzzle on the computer, and the puzzle looked easy but was deceptively hard. And the, they're, they're with their mothers, and the only instruction to the mother was, "Don't help." And, and every single instance, the mother couldn't resist. And they, they had they had heart monitors on both the child and the mother, and whenever the, whenever the mother started to help. Her, her, her heart rate went down. She got more calm, but the kids went up because he felt, Interesting. He, he felt his sense of control was threatened. He wasn't, he couldn't, he wasn't you know, allowed to cope with it himself. So I love that. Yeah. So, you know, certainly we, we want to protect kids from things that are obviously dangerous or, or, but, um, let them play. You know, we are I, in, in our new book, we, we start with one of the chapters with the story that, um, uh, about Mister Rogers, when, when uh, uh, I can't remember his first name, Rogers. Uh, in any case, uh, Fred, Fred, oh, Fred. Rogers. Thank you. So yeah. the story was like he's, I think he was six or seven, and he, they had this brick kind of brick wall that was like ten feet, I don't know, seven, seven, eight, ten feet, and he climbed up. And he was walking the wall, and his mom and his grandma said, "How did you got to get down?" And the grandfather said, "Let him walk. Yeah, <laughs> you know he, he can handle this. You know if he falls, he it's not going to kill him. And and he said, Fred Rogers said, "God, this this is a, a huge moment in my life because I realized he had, mm. he he knew he had confidence in me. I was just much less fearful. I, I I was able to take healthy risks more, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not that it's not that we don't, you know, for little kids, especially young children, we we do we, we want we, do, we want to keep them safe as much. as We, do, we want, but we don't want to be hovering we, as much as possible. We want them to have the experience of." Uh, of encountering some relatively minor stressors and being able to deal with it. Because that's the only way you develop resilience. I I was lecturing about the self-driven child about three or four years ago before the pandemic in Houston. And I happened to mention probably the most elite high school in the D.C. area because I I saw a kid from there. and, And a woman came up to me after the lecture and said, I'm I'm a psychotherapist here at the Manager Clinic in Houston, this really good mental health facility in Houston. She said, we know this school really well because so many of the graduates get into the most elite colleges, but they can't handle it emotionally, so they, they take a medical leave of absence and they come here for treatment. Mm. And she said, to the one, they just don't have that experience solving their own problems. You know that they, 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 they they've been jumping through hoops their whole life and haven't had to really figure out how, you know, what. What if I'm not the best at everything? You know, they, 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 they had how to handle stressful situations.
0: That that makes sense. That, I mean, yeah. you kind of coast through life without any challenges or hardship or having to solve any problems. As soon as you do, that's going to be quite a quite a stressful endeavor. But um, you know, again, it's it's it is difficult. So I totally I understand more today than I did two years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put it no, that way. Yeah, I, I I completely get it too. Let's shift gears a little bit to my world on, on the finance side, because yep. I get this question a lot. And frankly, I'm not an expert on, on you know, child psychology and in, in, in the brain of children. So I think you can help me kind of work through this a little bit. But clients ask me all the time, you know, James, how do I start introducing money concepts to my kids? And how do I start giving them kind of some responsibilities? When should I? How should I? Those sort of things. And, you know, I've got some ideas and I've kind of passed those along. One of the things I also worry about is we live in such a kind of money-fueled world. And even as somebody who who's in the finance space, I really want to be careful not to kind of uh, put too much emphasis on money and really focus on more of the why. Um, so I, I worry a little bit about bringing too much importance to money too soon to children and that they might become you know, too obsessed or or whatever with money and thinking that that's like the most important thing in their life, which can lead to future stress in itself. So, do you have any thoughts on how to kind of start down that pathway in a responsible way that will set the child up for the responsibility, but without maybe some of those extra stressors down the line? Yeah,
1: and and I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert on money, you know. And but, but sure, I will say, sure. and my daughter. Uh, you know, who has three kids? And a couple of years, a year ago, she had a book on her shelf about kind of teaching kids about money. There's, I can't remember the name of it. You could Google. It. There's people who've written about this. But a couple of thoughts, just you know, and I'll clarify. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a clinical neuropsychologist, and I and I I don't consider myself a parenting expert because. I know a lot of stuff that's useful, and I've written a couple of really, I think, <laughs> useful books. Uh, but I don't know everything, you know. I don't know, and, and so uh, I, here's my, a couple of my thoughts. Yeah, in, in, ter- in terms, in terms of, of the value of money, I mean, I, one of the best things we can do, w- best ways to teach kids stuff, is to think out loud. You know, so, so that we want kids to understand the the, the the importance of saving. You know, I just, I just you know, I just got my paycheck today. I'm, I'm putting part of it in savings, you know, so the, 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 the first, I'm going to pay, pay, myself first. I think that's kind of a good mm-hmm. idea, you know, that, that kind of idea. And, Absolutely. And, 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 and you kind of model it by saying that I'm, I'm without trying to teach them where that it doesn't feel like you're giving them a lesson. They're just listening to you talk. And, right. So, so I, I think that kind of, you, know, you pay yourself first kind of idea. I, I, I like it when kids, you know, when when kids, Earn, earn money, earn like extra money for, for doing, contributing to the family in some way that, that, that they didn't have to do and then investing it you know as mm-hmm. they get and get older help, helping them track the investments. I, I think that, I think that's great for kids. but in terms of um, in terms of not helping them understand that money is in, in, in everything it's certainly there's a chapter in a new book uh, it, it's called Talking with Kids about the Pursuit of Happiness. And it's rooted in uh, all, how, how often we encounter d- d- p- people, kids who've grown up thinking that that the only important thing in their childhood and adolescent is going to a really good college to, so they make a lot of money. Yep. And how just just a, and you see kids in these really great colleges, who, most of them who are, who are you know sixty percent of whom are seeking mental health services. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something terribly wrong with this kind of picture. And when you actually study what makes people happy. You know, achievement is like one-fifth of it. It's, it's part of it, but it's 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 only part of it. And with money, people actually find are much happier if they give it away than if they spend it on themselves. And And so I think modeling. You know, having, you know, having a regular kind of, you know, if you're, if you have any kind of a tithing kind of thing where, you know, regular sure. giving to other people, let's save up some money so that we can help people who, who are less fortunate than we are. That's a wonderful thing, to, to, a, a habit to, to get started with kids. Um, and letting them know that, and just saying, you know, I feel when I every year, you know, I, I donate money to, to, to people who are less fortunate. I, it makes me feel so good. It makes me feel I, I really, really like I've really, my work is really kind of paid off. Like so I can, I can feed my family. But I can also help other people. So it's in that context of, of, of money being a useful tool that we let's use it wisely. And if we want to invest it. Um, uh, but, but letting kids know there's just part of the story and actually you're happier if you give it away.
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And there's that, that quote, I don't remember if it was Seneca or one of the Stoics basically said to it, when you become wealthy, materially wealthy, not, not wealthy as in, you know, more of a conceptual way, but materially wealthy, you give up one set of problems for a, for a new set of problems. And, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, and I like that idea of giving, a, you know, giving away and, and helping others and, and letting the child be a part of that, or, or at least be privy to those conversations. Yeah.
1: You know, and it, one of the interesting things about the science of happiness is that they've discovered that so much of what we think will, we predict will make us happy is wrong. Yeah. So you you, you give people 20 bucks and, and, and you say, you either spend it on yourself or give it away. And the people who spend it on themselves report feeling less – they're less happy as a result of having the 20 bucks than people who give it away. And this is true. You go into pre, the really poor countries where, where like 20 bucks is, or you give them five bucks. It's, it's a really big deal. They give it away. They're happier for a month than, 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 than people who spend it on themselves. And so, just letting kids know that 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 that, that because that generosity, when that the brain chemistry of being generous of, of generosity, though with, with all the oxytocin, the connections you feel when you're generous, it's let them. I'd let them know about that.
0: And yeah, I'll, let them feel it. Well, probably. yeah, no, I, I let them be
1: involved. Yeah, I think it's important to know. I told my kids from early on that. that you know after when in high school you know after about 75,000 bucks it didn't it, you know you don't seem to get much happier if you more money you make and they mm-hmm. both they, they both make a lot more money than i do uh, but but i think they grew up with, with the message that you know this you know that ain't the end of life
0: yeah the yeah that life. was a landmark study when it came out where that kind of set that benchmark of once your basic needs are pretty well met and maybe you've got a little extra to pursue some hobbies or whatever doesn't really get much better than that, as far as your level of happiness. The rest is, you know, yeah, not really yeah, benefiting yeah. you in any meaningful way. Yeah, yeah. So, well, good stuff. Let's let's kind of switch back to the kids because there are some other really important parts of, of the book that I wanted to touch on, and some of them were fairly shocking. Again, I knew them, I guess, but I hadn't really thought much about them. This one really bothered me in a way, and and that is uh, the current state of homework <laughs> in in our schools and. I, I wrote this down yeah, because it, it kind of blew my mind that Finnish students, as in uh, kids in Finland going to school, rarely receive more than 30 minutes per day of homework, yet they have some of the highest education outcomes in the world. And then comparing that with, you know, students here in the United States and in a lot of other countries as well, over four hours in many cases, especially probably in the more elite schools. Right. And yet there's very little, if any, or maybe it's even a, a negative uh, net, net benefit. Why are we doing that?
1: <laughs> fear. It, it's it's not a fear. First couple of years into my private practice in the mid eighties, I, I just I just I noticed just how many I, how how many kids I mean, I see a lot of kids who have learning disabilities or ADHD and, and schools hard on them. How many kids would, would um, uh, just they're doing homework? would just be like World War II, you know, you know World War Three at, at home, uh, just all this conflict. And I actually, so I started to research, what do we know about what contributes, to, about homework, homework's contribution to learning? Mm-hmm. And I was stunned in 1986 to learn that after, at that time, 60 years of research, nobody had demonstrated any any correlation at all between homework and learning in, in elementary students and very minimal correlations in middle school and high school students. More recent, roots, re, more recent research has confirmed that it doesn't do nothing in elementary school for learning. Middle school, if you, in high school, if you an hour and a half, in high school up to two hours, okay, if you're, if you're gonna take, be tested in this stuff, it helps to study it. I mean, but in terms of long-term learning, there, there's virtually no evidence. And, and so one, one of the things we say in the book, is that if we were te- if Ned and I say, if we were teachers, we'd much rather uh, teach a high school kid who, mm-hmm. for four hours who'd slept for eight, than teach right. teach them for eight if they slept for four. My feeling um, is that in America, I mean, this Finland, Finland doesn't start formal education until age seven, and we've known James for, since the nineteen certainly. I, I, I read it as as, as early as nineteen seventy five that. In, in multiple languages around the world, the best time to teach a kid to read is age seven. Meaning, the most efficient time to, to, to teach them that the kind of goes faster, the higher percentage of kids learn easily, is age seven. And yet, in America, we we, we continue to have this completely unfounded idea that if, if if we if we make if we start kids earlier, they'll, they'll, they'll be better at it. If we start them before they're ready, they'll be ready, They'll do better. If we give them more homework. They'll be ready, and it doesn't make any developmental sense. There, there's there's no research evidence at all. Doesn't make any brain research. It's all based on fear, in my opinion. And what happened? I mean, all, all basically all educational policy in America right, is, is has been developed in the last in, in, in my career mm-hmm. by people who who either don't know or, or care very much about the brain. I mean, anybody who, who would say, "Well, let, let's get rid of recess." Or let's get, of art, get rid of art and music, so we have more time to cram stuff into kids' heads, um, or anybody who thinks, oh, let's let's do a lot more testing, so everybody gets more anxious and stressed. And knowing what stress does for learning, you know, and and, and what for teacher burnout, you know, it just it doesn't make sense. And so, I, I think that uh, there's some kids who like homework. A lot of parents they, now they welcome it because it's an alternative to, to video games or you know just being on the social media all the time. But I, I do think that it, it causes a ton of suffering and unnecessary sleep deprivation, which contributes to anxiety and mood disorders and that, that kind of stuff. For just for what, you know? And it, it really is, you use the word counterproductive. And I think that that, that um, I think that that in many cases it is. And, and what we recommend instead is that if the kids have homework, that it be, be you know, ungraded and and and, and uh, be voluntary. So that here's that here. I think this, this is something that could stimulate your learn. what you try this? Um, right. You know, to give them alternatives, they, they encourage them to learn at home. If, but, but if you see the idea is if you're tired and if you're stressed, you don't learn. And that's mm-hmm. so many kids, so many kids these days have to do their homework when they're tired and stressed.
0: Yeah. My wife and I were talking about this and she said, you know, you work for, you know, 10 hours a day, call it. Would you want to come home and do another Two hours of assigned work in a subject you don't necessarily enjoy. You, no, no, no yeah, yeah, it, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I find it hard to like understand why we would think that's a good idea for someone who can't understand why they're being told to do this, right. and they're not internally motivated to do it. But, I, but I think you're right. There's this more is more is more kind of mentality in the education system that that we can't kind of pull ourselves away from for some reason.
1: And I think it's all driven by fear. And, and if you think about it, I mean, I, I, I if, if your kid went to, to goes to a kindergarten where, where they don't have any uh, academic instruction, they take the research seriously. We're going to wait. No. And well, the Waldorf schools, you know, they, 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 yes. they don't start reading until second grade. You know, they, they, they're about seven. They lose their first two Okay. They're ready to read. And, um, and they learn to read as well as it as, as anybody else. Um, and, but let, let's say you did that. Let's say your kid goes and, and your neighbor's kid goes to a school where they started, you know, reading in in, in pre kindergarten and really worked on it in kindergarten. And your kid, your your neighbor's kid, can read pretty well in kindergarten. You start to get a little nervous, you know. might right, you know. And I think that 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 it's it's this fear that our kids are going to fall behind other kids. So if if they're doing You know, if the the kids in this high school are they're taking six AP classes, you know, a a year, you know, my my kids only taken three, my kid will be behind that kid for the rest of his life, and that's the kind of crazy, crazy, psychotic thinking that drives a a a lot of what happens in 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 our both our public schools and our independent schools, that the idea that. The way you become successful is be by driven, by, by being driven, by, by constantly, by externally pressured. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: It is crazy. I agree. I agree. And I've seen it with some of my friends who have kids either around my, my daughter's age or maybe a little older, a little younger. And I was amazed how quickly – they were told for some reason or another, maybe the child's speech, they weren't saying enough, as many words as they were supposed to, they should go see a specialist. And, and again, I'm not an expert and I'm not saying when someone should or shouldn't do that, but I mean, we're talking very young kids and I was blown away, like that we're already to the point of comparing them against their peers on something like that uh, without even giving yeah. them, a, like he's hardly had a chance. He's barely, he's been here nine months, you know?
1: There's some 18-month-old, you know, who aren't even close to to saying a word yet, you know, and and getting a speech pathologist to stimulate, that that can be reasonable. However, what I object to is is, um, speech speech pathologists used to, basically the kid in kindergarten, be diagnosed with an articulation problem, and they treat all articulation problems and, and say, you know, by the time third grade, we've cured almost all of them. But they did controlled studies and found that that, that most of the those developmental or the articulation problems were developmental. They, they grow out of them anyway, you know. And, right. and, and my, my my granddaughter, when she was four, their uh, preschool had an, an occupational therapist come in and, and assess their fine motor skills, to kind of their, their 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 handwriting kind of for pre handwriting. Now, you do kids don't have mature enough connections between their brain and and the, the small muscles in their finger to hold a pencil properly. Mm-hmm. So the idea of assessing their, their, their these fine motor skills at age four, is so what happens if 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 they're immature, that they recommend occupational therapy. It's a complete scam. It's a, my my this my my granddaughter yeah. she, she was recommending OT. I said, this is ridiculous, don't do it. And at, at age by age seven, she was an incredible writer. I mean, she's she, her printing's her writing is better than anybody I, I know. And it's just it's just so there there is that. we have to be careful not to kind of buy into some of this stuff.
0: Well, talk about stress. I mean, you're stressing out every damn parent who's already stressed out. Like, <laughs> so, so, something's wrong with their kid. When right. There's absolutely nothing wrong with right. their kid right. In, right. Most, in most cases. Right. Right. Well, let's 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 kind of fast forward now because I want to get into uh, a little bit older kids now, and particularly looking at college, higher education is really in an interesting state. I think. Um, and I think there are kind of a lot of changes going on in various directions and I'm not sure what the future of that's going to look like. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts basically on what the future of higher education might look like if it's going to get better, if it we're going the wrong direction or, or anything like that?
1: Well, l- let me say this, James, I, I'm, this isn't something I'm, I'm necessarily an expert on. I, 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 I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not talking very much with futurists and, and people who are kind of making these kind of pred- uh, predictions, but I will say a couple of things. I am. Um, I I started lecturing about 15 years ago. uh, gave gave a lecture called "Who's Ready for College?" Mm -hmm. Because I saw so many kids who who started college. They go off to college, and they'd be home by October, November. I mean, that they simply weren't ready. In our book, we talk about college as a brain toxic environment. I mean, with with you go to college, there's 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 probably no more dysregulated learning environment, living environment outside of a college dormitory. In, in terms of, of completely irregular sleep and weight cycles, very inconsistent diet, lots of lots of drinking, lots of binge drinking, which is about the worst thing you can do for a brain is the binging part. Mm-hmm. You know, drug use, this and that, and 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 I think that um, and also, I mean, it's it's so expensive, and so there, there, there's so I just read the other day that, that 60 percent of people who have a liberal arts major regret having majored in some liberal arts that they can't do anything with. And, right. and and recently the studies find that the college students on average spend 10 to 15 hours doing school in class and, and, and studying and the rest of the time socializing for like 67, that's, you know, 50, 60, yeah, that's
0: expensive, you know, socializing.
1: so, so I, I think it's, so my answer is it's got to change. Also, I mean, just the idea that you need a degree college degree to do everything which is which is ridiculous I think there's going to be a much more emphasis on do you have the skills to do this job as opposed to some kind of degree I think that the idea that a bachelor's degree is kind of the entry level for, for something or the requirement for entry level something is crazy I also yeah. think I think, also think we're going to see a resurgence of trades skilled trades and, and vocational kind of things and and tech kind of education that, that doesn't require four-year education. So I, I think the whole thing is going to d- d- change. I, j- I just read recently that, that very few students are now are majoring in liberal arts. In some ways, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, it, it does give you kind of a, a, a well-rounded kind of way of understanding the world, but it's so expensive and, and kids don't put much, much energy into studying. They, they do it because it's, it's the easiest major. they easy major. That's why I did it. <laughs> well, that, that's why I did it <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think there's going to be big changes in in, in college, um, and um, you know we see the, the huge problem with college debt. Yeah, and I just I just read a really interesting book, um, uh, and I know that most of your clients are, are younger, but there, there's a really interesting new book uh, by Arthur Brooks, and it's called From Strength to Strength. And Arthur Brooks is 58, and he's the former. Um, he's he's, he's uh, a, f- a former. University professor, and he, he he ran the American Institute, American Enterprise Institute for ten years. He's a big, big, huge in meditation, and he's he's really he studies happiness. Like writes writes a column about happiness in um, New York Times at some place. Um, but this, this, it's a, what it is, it's it's about people who people. It's written for people kind of middle age who've been very successful, mm-hmm. and just how to make the transition to because the idea is that your skill set. Decline, I mean, especially if, if that the, a the lot of your skills decline as you go lower sometimes, sometimes you peak some, some people some careers by the by thirties and by the forties right. or fifties. Right. And how do you make the make, make that that transition? And and he himself got a, got a he got a college degree online. He got a PhD online, and he was a university professor with an online PhD and college degree. So I'm not, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of, there's really nice things about going to college and going to graduate school, but I think the whole system is going to change a lot.
0: Yeah. I, I tend to agree with, with most of what you said, Bill, I think, um, a employers aren't necessarily looking for degrees in the same way they were. Um, it's for one, if everyone has a degree, it's not really much of a differentiator <laughs> to begin with. That's a good voice. So, so you start looking other places and now those other places start to become more valuable than the degree so if somebody's been a part of you know other organizations or if they've done some novel things that are that are, to make them stand out or if they've written publicly um and most of their peers haven't those those are the start uh things that start to take precedent um so i think we're seeing a little bit of that happen now obviously the, the you touched on the expenses that's it's just astronomical and and kind of going straight up right now and that that just can't sustain no matter how you cut it yeah. um so i i think there are a lot of changes coming And unfortunately i don't think it's going to be as fast as i would want it to be and i'm always too optimistic about these things so it'll happen probably but it'll be 15 years after I would put <laughs> a, de- a <laughs> okay, deadline okay. on it uh-huh. so but but i do think some things need to change um and i think some things will change so mm-hmm. that was just kind of a sidebar discussion really but you know, someone who deals with, with kids and learning so much, I really just wanted to get your thoughts on yeah, that. Yeah, so sure. I asked on social media, what people wanted me to ask you about. And the thing that came up the most was about technology. And you touched on it a little bit earlier talking about really young kids. Yeah. Um, but in particular, a friend of mine wanted me to ask, and she has two kids, uh, almost six years old and almost eight years old. And they're already, trying to figure out what to do about the whole cell phone situation. Um, They're not obviously there just yet, but it's already a conversation that's coming, come up in their family and and that sort of thing. Okay. And I loved the description of technology in in your book. It was described as a beast, but one that when tamed can bring joy and possibility to a child's life. So I just want to talk about that. How do we tame that beast? And and what would you recommend um, for my friend with the almost six year old and almost eight year old? Yeah, um,
1: I, I, people almost never people who who you know kids saying everybody else has one. And they say, well, that 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 in my I I can't do something I think is 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 not right for you as, as your parent. I can't do something that's not right, so is, you're going to be away a little longer. I don't I don't know anybody who's ever regretted that. And a lot right. of people who said, "Why did I give? Why did I give him this stuff so early?" I think the main thing, you know, the cell phone, be, being able to, to text or being able to to, to call your parents to, to make sure. I mean, the, the, one time I forgot to pick up my son at practice, and uh, and <laughs> some kind of practice. He's like eight or he's by ten, I, I guess, and 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 he still brings it up every once in a while. But but uh, <laughs> but you know, if he had had a phone, he could, he could call me. You know, that that. So, but it's it's the, it's the, but he survived, right? Right. It's the internet. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, the, it's, it's that you don't, you, I really don't like to see kids have access to, to uh certainly much of the internet and certainly not to social media n- until they're teenagers. And I, I, I like the kind of wait till eight, kind of wait till eighth grade kind of idea. Uh, and so cell phones, I think what a lot of parents do wisely, you know, is when, when kids really need one, that they, they really need one to, to, you know, to, to let people know where they are, what, what arrange a ride or what, whatever, you get them a phone, but, but doesn't have the internet. Mm-hmm. Where they they can send a text and they 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 can and let them know that you'll be when they're little. Let them know that you'll be monitoring it, so because you know you want to make sure that they know how to use it safely. At least mm-hmm. at least at first, you'll be monitoring it. There any texting that they do. Um, but then um, you you kind of you you model really healthy use of it, you know, and, and then you you give them the, the 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 some access to internet when they're a little bit older, and then the social media when they're a little older than that. And in my my opinion, and and one of the things that that one of the main points of a a self-driven child, and we we echo these points in our new book as well, is that one of the main things we recommend to parents is to think, especially as your kids get older, is to think about yourself more as a consultant to your kid than as the the kid, the, the boss, the manager, the homework police, the someone who always knows best what's right for your kid, because really the goal. In our opinion, that's in my opinion, is you you want you, you want to, to, to help your kid be able to run his or her own own life before, the, before you, they leave home. And you want them to have, and part of that is making decisions. You want to encourage, because even your two-year-old, did you want to do it this way or that way? With little kids, we give them, let them make choices out of limited options. Mm-hmm. And as they get older, we want to encourage them to make decisions for themselves. And with adolescents, we want to require them. And we want to say to adolescents, I have confidence in your ability to make decisions about your own life and to learn from your mistakes. And I want you to have a ton of uh, experience, doing, experience doing that before you, go, before you leave home. And with technology, the kind of corollary is that we want to think about ourselves. With little kids, we, we, we kind of work out limits ahead of time. When you start, when you give a kid a video game, say, let, let, let's talk about this because these, these games are designed by some of the smartest people in the world to be as addictive as possible. So we've got, right. got to deal with that. So let's, let's work out some limits and let's work out something and we'll, we'll check back every couple of weeks to see how it's going. And we'll figure out, you know, if you can't stop playing, what do we do like that? So, so you kind of work it out ahead of time. And as they get older, you do more mentoring than monitoring. One of the great things that one of the things happening now is, is that people can monitor their kids where they can track them everywhere everywhere all the time now, which is just, just makes them more anxious because <laughs> it gives them the, it gives them the message, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to keep yourself safe. I'm so anxious that 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 I couldn't know for ten I couldn't go for ten minutes without knowing where you are. It doesn't make kids feel safe. You know, and, and I think so. Um uh, I, I think we want to mentor. So we want to do a lot of modeling. We want to have conversations with it. And and one of the main things that we see is teachers say, how do I get them off these damn video games? Well, if you have that attitude, all the energy, all the energy from you regarding video games is stop, 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 get off, get off, get off. You know, you're going to have a lot, of, a lot of sway with your kid. So, what you want to do is when you do introduce it, say use it together, and watch, watch them play a game. Say, God, I get even kids who play too, maybe too much. Say, watch them. Or play with them and say, "I get why you love this. I get why it's so addictive. This really makes sense to me." And, and, and that treating them respectfully, like that, we emphasize this a lot in our new book. The, the, the expressing empathy, understanding, and, and rather than judgment, and then saying, "You know, the, I, I think we, we need to figure out some way to play less because I, I can't, good conscience." Let you play six hours a day. Well, that's not, not, mm-hmm. not going to happen. So let's let's figure out something that will work for both of us. So I think that this consultant idea, this mentoring idea, as um, if you go back to the idea that we talked about initially. That you can't make somebody do something, you know, that, that, uh, uh, against their will. That, that playing this consultant role, where our our role is to help them figure out what, what, what's right for them, who they really want to be, how to get there, what works and what doesn't, what doesn't work. Uh, as opposed to thinking that we, we always know best, or that we have to be controlling them all the time, um, like that. Uh,
0: I, that's honestly probably Bill how I would summarize the book. Yeah. Like to me, that's probably the greatest takeaway. Um, is is just if nothing else, just to think about that role um, and what you what role you really want to play, and what role is the healthiest um, for your child. And I love that idea of being a consultant and and more of just a guide. Um, than trying to be just a tyrant, authoritarian uh, oh. all the time.
1: Well, we we know that that kind of parenting actually produces better results than than really authoritarian kind of parenting. And also, I got to that, James, through, I mentioned this in the book, through when I was writing about homework in 1986, and I was seeing all these kids' families who were just saying, it's like World War III. And I knew that homework didn't contribute to learning. I said, what is this for? So I started saying to parents, tell your kid, I love you too much. To, I love you too much to fight with you about your homework. And that's actually one of the cha, one of the chapter titles. And um, and the idea is that I, I'll do anything I can to help you. You know, I, we'll make sure you have a, a comfortable space. And if there's too much, I'll go to the school and we'll talk to the t- teacher. And if you need a tutor, I'll get you a tutor. But I love you too much to fight with you about this. I I I, I I'll help you, but I'm not going to chase you around to the house. I'm not going to say you, work, do, do you need to do your homework. You know, we'll, we'll work out you know a t- time for you to do it. But but th- and think about yourself more as a homework consultant. You know, if you need me, I'll, yeah. I'm here from six thirty, six thirty, seven thirty every night. I'll help you. But not as the homework police, uh, because you don't want to take responsibility for something that is really the kid's responsibility. You want to support yeah, the kid. Yeah, yeah.
0: I've seen that go so far t- to where the parents are actually doing the homework. Oh god, for the kids. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen that a million times. I remember being in high school and in middle school, and people's parents literally did their homework for them because the parent wanted to grade. It was more important to the parent than it was to the kid.
1: Right. Right. And that never goes well. I mean, that, that, no, that never, never no. ends well, you know, and it just doesn't build what we want in people. And it's based on the, I mean, I was a, one of my close friends, um, her son w- w- went, went to a v- very high achieving high school, public high school in um, suburb- suburban, suburban, um, uh, in in northern Virginia, so it's a suburb of DC, and graduated with a 1.67 grade point average. Now, if we think that the grades are the most important thing in life, you think that it's pretty low achiever. But he, so he went into the Navy, and he actually qualified for the Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. But but then he he had they discovered some kind of heart defect, so he couldn't be in the SEALs. So they put him on a boat. But he's he's a smart kid. He's really he just wasn't motivated to do school at that time, and he was, and some other stuff is happening. He goes on this boat, and he impresses everybody. He learns so quickly. He's completely responsible. He the, he, he the the admiral on the boat thinks he's he's incredible. Writes very supportive letters. The kid's a third year student at Harvard.
0: Oh wow! And he graduated
1: from high yeah. school to one point six seven. Yeah. And, and there's a lot there's a lot of stories like that in the book called. Um, alternate routes in our, in the book about people who became really successful in this world who didn't do it through standard path. And I think that that, that that's one thing that's really important to realize that you don't have to be, to have a successful life, you don't have to be a high achiever at every stage of your life. You know, you, you can, you can screw stuff up for a while. You, you can get off the treadmill for a while and get back on when you, when you want to, I mean, that, that, um, uh, like that. so, uh, we, that, Yeah, that's I, a great point. And I'm old enough that I, it's easy for, easy for me to take a long perspective because I've worked with, with with thousands and thousands of kids and I've seen thousands of kids who are a hot mess at age 3 <laughs> or at age 5 or 10 or 13 or, or 20 or 25 who five years later are are, are remarkably better or, or are, are incredible. I've right. just seen that enough that we want to take this long view and realize that most kids turn out fine. We don't have to worry so much. We don't have to try to be on them all the time. You know to micromanage them with this—it's not, it, not necessary. It doesn't help them.
0: And it's safe. Yeah, and it's safe. And the opposite of the opposite of your point, And I've seen this as well, even with some of my friends. They were that the highest achievers, um, pretty much from grade school through college, um, and at some point things kind of fall apart for them. Um, so that's not necessarily going to be an indication either that they're they're going to have a you know fulfilling life or 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 continue to to you know stay on that pathway right. of excellence or whatever you want to call it. So
1: right. there's an interesting series of studies years ago on, on valedictorians that found that they're really good college students, but the time that they're in the mid twenties, they weren't really any more successful than anybody else. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. This is it, being successful is a different skill set than, sla- than than, than slavishly trying to
0: get straight A's. Yeah. I mean, I, it, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, well, I guess let's kind of transition a little bit to the closing, um, I mean, it's been a wonderful conversation. I learned a lot from the book and I've learned a lot just talking to you here and a lot of things I can take back and try to implement <laughs> and, and hopefully my daughter will will grow up to be mm-hmm. self-driven and and successful internally uh, the way she wants to be successful yeah. and I'll fight every urge I have to to kind of dominate her existence. And that's really what I well, took away from the book.
1: Well, and I'll mention that, that I thought like this when my kids were very little. You know, I, I I wrote up that consultant idea when, when my daughter was five and my son was, was was three, and so I just kind of walked this walk. I told my daughter when she's a senior in high school, junior high school, that I, I'd pay her a hundred bucks for a seat so she could see that it's just not that big a deal. You know, I told him from the time in first grade, I, I don't really care about your report cards because there's very little correlation between grades and your success in life. I care about you're working hard to develop yourself so you have something meaningful to offer this world, um, and. You know, they both got PhDs. They're both very successful and, and uh, it, with, with no academic pressure. I never, I, I, I never knew about, anything about their homework unless they asked me to help. Uh, and and, and uh, my son didn't find it that easy to learn. You know, and, and, and I think that, that uh, this stuff works because simply if we empower kids, we, we really respect them and we don't try to control them. Their brain works better. It develops better. Our relationship is better.
0: I love it. Well, I always ask one kind of closing question to each guest and it's often seen, I guess, as a money question, but it's really not. It's, it's more conceptual than that. But what does wealth or being wealthy, um, mean to you, Bill?
1: So I've been, let me say that, um, I mean, I think that making the distinction between being rich and being wealthy is, the, 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 yeah. is a meaningful one, you know, in, in the sense that um, be, that, that having, being, having money allows you to do a lot. It allows you to give, you know, I, I certainly I've met people who are motivated to make money so they can give it away. And and, um, and we, we know I, I, I interviewed uh, Tim Kasser, who, who studied materialism. For years, a at, at, uh, university professor. And he, he said, you know, that all this research and materialism says, you know, having money, that's not a problem. That, that, that it's the pursuit of money. It's, mm-hmm. it's this think of thinking, this is what's going to do it for me, that it's correlated with depression, with the increased anxiety. So, my feeling, I've been thinking lately that my definition of a successful life now is a life you're happy with. Because I see so many people who, who, who are really successful, who are just miserable. They, they don't like that. They hate their lives. Yeah. And, and, and people, you know, I see people who, who haven't, haven't are, don't make as much money, have not have as much career prestige, who are just much happier with their lives. And so that, that, that's, that's I, I, so somebody who's wealthy, is somebody who has, has, has a life that they're happy with. means that they have enough. We, I, I was so struck by, by in, in writing our new book, James, by how much the word enough came up. Wealthy means I got enough, you know, I, right. that, that, I, that I'm not experiencing great scarcity. I have enough to be generous. I have enough not to be fearful. Um, but but thinking that somehow, I mean, I, one of my, one of my Ned, Ned has a friend who's a psychologist, and Who also who, who works in the financial field, and what, one of uh, his, his clients, the person said, "My goal is to leave ten million dollars each to my children." And he says, "That's you really your." And the, and the guy said, "That's your really your goal. I can't work with you. That's that's a sick <laughs> goal, you know." Um, so,
0: that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that reminds me of that story about uh, Kurt Vonnegut where he went to a a party with a friend Uh, was being hosted by this hedge fund manager. And, you know, he earned hundreds of thousands of dollars a day managing these funds. They uh, they were at this party at this beautiful house out on the ocean. And it was just this great party, amazing food, amazing drinks, entertainment, the whole the whole shebang. And uh, I believe it was Joseph Heller, who Kurt Vonnegut was with, said something like, man, can you believe this guy he has he has everything think about you you know you're the successful author and he's got so much more than you he makes more in a day than you make you know in years and Kurt Vonnegut replied yeah all right maybe it was Heller I think maybe I switched him but Heller said yes that's true but I have something he will never have and that's enough and I, I thought that's a pretty cool well, story
1: it's a great story and and we, we, I'm, just, I'm just blanking the term but um, it, we, we know that you 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 make a bunch of money, you get a big raise, you get a promotion, that you get a rush from it, but you, your level of happiness goes back to baseline. You know, in a day or two, or most a month, a month, you know, and so you need need more and more, and, yeah. and, so, and so it's so it's so much. I mean, the research is just it's so you, you're so much happier if you appreciate what you have, that if yep. you, that you continue to think I need more and more and more and more.
0: Yep, that's that hedonic adaptation. That's
1: that's a term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah you right, you
0: right. you know you you lust over something you really want it. You get it, and then a week later, two weeks later, it's like you never got it. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It, you're you're right back where you were. Right. So is, is that all there know? is?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It,
0: yeah. Now now what? Now you're on to the right. to the next thing. So, <laughs> right. uh, anyways, well, Bill, it's been fantastic. I certainly appreciate your time and. Um, I I will be reading your second book with my wife um, very soon. But really love the self driven child, and I'd recommend it honestly not just to parents or teachers or people who deal with children. I mean it's it's really can be helpful for anyone because it really touches on important things like sleep and stress and ambition and and all of these things that that impact adults just as well as kids. But it's certainly useful for 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 parents. Great, um, great. so really appreciate. You and Ned writing the book, and uh, appreciate your time.
1: I really enjoyed being with you, James.
0: I hope you gained some valuable insights from Dr. Stixrud. If you're enjoying what we're doing, please follow or subscribe to the show to be notified when new episodes are dropped. Also, I'd be grateful if you'd leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening.